Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Food for Thought, a podcast gab fest for in a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex, <gasps> identity, oh my god, culture, <laughs> oh, what we like to read, and who we like to read. <laughs> Food for Thought, a veritable STI flare-up of knowledge. No. Oh, oh, wow. That just wow. added me. I was, I was sub-twat. <laughs> um, speaking, of, speaking of flare-ups. Uh, <laughs> oh, last night, well, I was not present, but it was reported to me that Den did get a little stony. She she she, she partook did. in she the, in she, the she that California does have to offer because we do offer the best here in California. Yes, we do. She partook but heavily, it, but there was there were some things that were said. Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm no. not terrified. Among them, I'm scared too. Among them, what Jesus's dick looks like. <laughs> oh, and, and Den oh, reported yes. that Jesus has a pencil dick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Which yes. I yes, that is right. You think it's I long and thin. That. I think it's long and thin. Most oh, this is this now now that. this is playing into the false idea that Jesus was white. Yeah. We know that he was not, but um, because I grew up thinking Jesus was white for a long time, oh, um, yeah. I always thought of him as being tall and lanky. And in my experience, those tall, lanky white boys often have pencil decks. They do. I've I've been with quite a few before. It's and- it's an it's its own epidemic. Let me tell you also, I mean, it makes sense because Jesus, she was compensating for something. Okay, that was was. a stunt queen. Okay, she lived for the drama. Always. Okay, can you imagine being at supper with 12 mm-hmm. of your closest friends. And All then, sitting on the same, the same side. side. Right, right. Jesus was <laughs> doing it for the gram, for sure. <laughs> the original influencer? Jesus is the, as the original influencer. I'm yeah, not, yeah. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> but, who okay, who no, did no. Jesus do SpawnCon for? Um, excuse me, Jesus only had 12 followers. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, no, no. But like, literally, like if you stood up and you were like, one of you betrayed me. Like, what a gag. Yeah, 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 I'm yeah, waiting yeah. for my moment. I'm okay. waiting for my like, moment. That is a, drama. The, the drag race rattlesnake noise. <laughs> <laughs> that is the that is the mood, you know. Oh my goodness. That true, is, true, yes, true. Yes. I mean, but imagine being that girl at the party, you can turn the water into wine, though. Yes. Oh, that's yeah. She's always invited. Yes. She's, a, always she's invited. a talented mm-hmm. girl. That is a party trick. That's true. If it was tequila, I mean, I would be a little more interested. But. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Actually, you're not wrong. I do love tequila. Uh, what's up, y'all? My name is Tommy Teebs, Pico, indigenous American poet, screenwriter, and currently in the running to be the jumpiest bitch in American history. I wow. seriously can't even be in the kitchen at the same time the toaster has some bread inside of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> too too me. Can't do it. I ain't the one bitch. <laughs> I'm Joseph Osmondson, scientist, nonfiction writer, and y'all, I'm about a month and a half into my squishy belly summer, and I'm loving it! <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord. I'm Fran. I'm a writer. I'm an editor. 
editor, and contrary to popular belief, uh, my body is not a wonderland. It is hell on what, earth. A Girl, a <laughs> no, that's yours, mama. That's yours, mama. <laughs> wow. <laughs> because that's really wild because I was going to say that I am Den Michelle and I'm a reader and a writer and a former figure skater. And um, my current nickname for my pussy is the Cave of Wonders. Oh. So there we go. Let's go Spogunkin. <laughs> <laughs> make, sure, uh, okay. make sure to tie a rope around yourself to find your way out. <laughs> you, might, you might get lost <laughs> if you know. Unfortunately, I'm imagining the Cave of Wonders from Aladdin with a giant Ooh. lion mouth that oh, like, yes. eats him up. <laughs> The oh yes! Oh yes! Yes! Inadequate suitors do not return. <laughs> Are we looking for the forbidden stone? Okay, <laughs> Joe, let us know what we got in the menu tonight. All right, y'all. Today our episode is all about what makes culture gay, even when it's incredibly straight. We start by answering your questions wrongly, mm-hmm. and we finish by cracking a book. Take it away. Mm, books never heard of her. I don't know them. Mm-mm. We don't know. I'm feeling a little peckish. Let's start the top of the show the way any good top should with a little tease. Our uproarious appetizer segment Amuse Boosh and to amuse our booshes, Joe... Yeah, so we're going to do our classic uh, Penny for Your Thoughts. We got mm. so many incredible questions when we put out our call. They were a, a really good. Weeks. Thank so good. y'all. So many questions. I mean, we are just going to have to do a whole episode answering your questions wrongly because there were so many great ones. Uh, so we have a couple here today to tackle. The first one is, my name is Logan, he, they, trans mask, hunky dyke, all pronouns we love here. And I got unexpectedly dumped via text the day before pandemic's oh Valentine's God. Day by the most powerful bottom that lit up my big queer heart. Oh my God. Months later, my dick and heart are still feeling sad and broken. Uh, this person's clearly a Pisces. Uh, please share your best tips, tricks, rituals for how to move on from a relationship that made you feel incredibly hot, loved, supported, and affirmed right up until it didn't anymore. You know, I'm in the corner crying. I know. This is like, literally, you ghost wrote this. Um, You are Logan. (laughs) Um, I'm Logan, yes. I I think one of the most important things to consider when, quote unquote, getting over a breakup is that closure is an artifice. It's not a thing. It is. It is not some, there is no aha moment that we see in movies wherein all of a sudden you get over it swimmingly, whether it's, you know, you're dating a new person or you are walking or through you, New York or to you a got, song. Yes. Or you got like me, you got your revenge, which I, you know, is how I get over people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like there is like, this kind of thing, the way people talk about getting over someone as if it is a resolute point. Oh, yes. And it's not. It's gradual. Yeah. The only thing that can heal it is time. Mm. It is, it is, that is so true that time is ultimately like one of the best healers. But I have a couple of thoughts. My first thought, and I say this very often, um, is that the easiest way to get over one man is to get under another one. Boo. Oh, no. Not a Always, that has always worked for me. And it in has that never vein, worked for me. I, I, I'm the person who will cry uh, in in the bed with the new person because I'm, I, I'm, I don't think it's, it's not healthy for me. It's, yeah. I mean, well, different people have different coping mechanisms. It, it is a great one for me. But me too. yeah. Um, the I other agree. thing, the other thing that I want to want to say is that, like, I'm thinking a lot about the end of this question where the where Logan is talking about um, this relationship that made that made him feel incredibly hot, loved, supported, and affirmed. And I think that when we're often mourning um, the security that we've had 
in a great relationship that has ended, I think it's often because we're mourning something that was pretty it, like experiencing all of that greatness in that relationship is often it may not be the first time you've experienced it in a relationship, but it's usually something that comes along fairly rarely that it's that healthy, that mm. great. And so one of the things that I always think about is the idea that like when I'm coming out of one of those types of situations that this has brought me to a new threshold of mm-hmm. what I know is possible. Mm-hmm. And now as I move forward, mm-hmm. this is going to be a lot more present in in what I'm looking for in a mm-hmm. relationship and in what I'm going to allow myself to be a part of. And so it's like really celebrating the really wonderful things about it and focusing on making sure that those are in your 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 situations that are going to come in the future because there will be more situations in the future. There are going to be more powerful bottoms, I promise you. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm right here. I'm one of them. <laughs> I, I do feel like that, that you're getting at exactly, you know, this idea that, you know, r- relationships ending are not failures, right? Mm-hmm. They are additive to, they are like the combined effort of like, you know, everything that we are. Those build you and help you become the person that you want to be. But I also want to say, I want to give bad advice because like, let me tell you, it's worked for me. Is that like when you, like when this person said, when Logan said like, oh, like I've never felt so like loved, affirmed, all these different things. Mm focus on their bad qualities like oh. I just think I, I said look on this podcast we're I'm not tra- we're not giving you good advice I'm giving you advice I'm giving you advice that has worked I'm going so, to I'm going to say let, sometimes you got to think about you got to be like That's this ex fair. broke mm-hmm. up with me over text mm. yeah. That, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. how yep, much yep, regard yep. do they have for you bad yeah. person yeah, yeah. red yep. flag <sighs> think about all the ways that this person has hurt you again not good advice but it worked for me i uh am different than everyone in this room Boo. uh i um the thing for me, I you know, I still am upset at my ex from a few years ago who I lived with, who I thought was going to get married yes, you to. Are. We see the tweets. Um, you know, that person, the way that person broke my trust um, by, you know, engaging in this type of a relationship that that was very, um, you know, we lived together and was committed and then it broke in one day. That, that fucked me up for life, uh, to be honest with you. And I still think about it. I'm still hurt by it. And I'm still hurt by him. Um, and it certainly, you know. I, I think it's more about acceptance than moving on. It's just like mm-hmm. this bad thing happened to me mm-hmm. and it sucks. And there's nothing that is going to change that. Um, and I feel like relationships take two consenting people mm-hmm. and that's it. If someone wants to break up with you, they are, are right to break up with you. That doesn't mean you can't be pissed at them, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so like my therapist and I have always thought about forgiveness. I don't believe in forgiveness. Me either. I don't believe in closure. No. I don't believe in moving on, but I do believe that new love is possible. Right. And you know, my partnership right now is much healthier than my, what one was then. That doesn't mean it doesn't still hurt. So for me, it's all about just being realistic. This is going to hurt for a long time. I might hurt about this person forever. I was betrayed by this person. I love them. It's okay to hurt about that. Um, and then that doesn't foreclose. I think there's this notion that you have to have closure from relationship one to be ready for relationship two, but closure isn't a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you can still be upset and then also find someone who is awesome and won't break up with you by text. I this is do. like the ultimate, sorry, this is like the ultimate anti-compartmentalization. Yeah, compartmentalization isn't healthy. <laughs> I just find this interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. I believe in... I believe in forgiveness. I believe in letting go. I believe in moving on. Mm. I think that the important thing to remember and to hold on to and and to consider a gift is you said you felt affirmed and you felt loved and you felt 
of these ways and you can feel those ways about yourself without that person. Wow, that is that is good advice, Eves. I love how you asked four people the same question and got four exactly opposite answers yeah. from everyone yeah. else. But so you, know, you can pick, pick and choose. choose. Pick and choose, yeah. pick and pick and choose and the choose. one that's right for you, Truly which is my answer. the board. I love this next question, y'all. I'm a 30-year-old dyke who got dumped for wanting to be polyamorous right before the start of the pandemic. I'm coming out of it fully vaccinated and with a lot of therapy under my belt. I've had great success fucking around and having a great time for probably the first time in my life, but I'm worried the success is going to my head and turning me into a fuck boy. How do I walk the line between casual and sensitive without breaking too many hearts while still living my best degenerate pervert lifestyle? And this person signed off fuck, fuck boy cusp. Fuck boy cusp. That's really good. You can slide into my DMs. I love this. Um, I mean, (laughs) with great power comes great responsibility. responsibility. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's it's very that. Um, I I mean, you have to be. You have to, just as uh, Maya Angelou said, everything in moderation, even moderation in moderation. Right, 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 right. And to me, I think that it is, you know, you have to give yourself tools. Like there's this amazing book called Getting It, which is a kind of smaller version of if you don't want to read The Ethical Slot, which is a very long book, a somewhat dense book. It's kind of a shorter version of it Mm -hmm. that gives you kind of like best practices and ways to, um, work in ethical non-monogamy or just like in being a mm-hmm. slut in general having casual sex mm-hmm. um i think that's a great book to pick up if you're kind of thinking about that yeah. i think uh, the, the thing that i'm confused about in this question is this notion that being slutty makes one a fuckboy exactly. which i don't think is true yeah being a fuckboy means you're not being honest about and setting up expectations mm-hmm. that you can actually follow through on you mm-hmm. could have as much polyamorous degenerate sex perverted sex as you want as long as you're not promising something to the people you're mm-hmm. fucking that you yeah. that you aren't going to deliver on you know my therapist and I have worked on the fact that like I can be honest with someone and they might not accept what I'm saying is true they might mm-hmm. want to date me and I might say I don't want to be monogamous but I've told them what I wanted mm-hmm. and then what they do with that is up to them mm-hmm. and like it's not my ethical job to make sure they are how they're acting. Exactly. I've been honest with them. I've done my due diligence. I've told them I don't want to be monogamous. And if they want to fuck me, then they're making that active choice that they have the agency to make to fuck me or not. So right. you're not a fuck boy if you're honest. That's like, that's it. I 100% agree with that. And I, and my also, my, other thought is that in reading this question, like the fact that you're asking this question tells me that probably you're not behaving in fuckboy ways. Yeah. Um, if you're already thinking about like, it. If you're already thinking about it. Which most fuckboys do not. We never think about it. The fuckboys does not give a fuck. Fuckboys do not have interiority. <laughs> okay. That's not a, there's no inner life going on there. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I, the other thing that I um, am thinking about is the idea that like we talk about boundaries a lot just in our society right now. And, like, just because you're, like, sleeping around and, like, having kind of a slutty fun time doesn't mean that you don't get to set boundaries, too. And Mm. that might be a boundary. And one of the guiding principles about setting boundaries in our relationships is that in order to set them and make them clear, we have to communicate them. So if you're ever feeling worried or nervous that you're, like, I'm not communicating enough or maybe I'm – like, I am possibly engaging in behavior with this person, even though I know that I don't want something more and I know that they do. Like, like if you set up a boundary with them about the fact that you're trying to be casual, um, you may be more likely to just be sure that you communicate because you're not mm-hmm. communicating. When you set up a boundary, you're not necessarily communicating for their behalf. 
first, you're thinking about, like, you're like, I'm setting this boundary up right. for me in right, service right. of my agenda and what I need. I have to communicate this to you. Mm. My question about this question is this notion of, be like, of having sex going to your head. Right. What does that mean? Oh, yeah. We got to unlearn that, right? Mm-hmm. We deserve yeah. pleasure. What does that mean? Yeah. You, you deserve that. You deserve sex. to feel hot well, the confla- and desired. The conflation of sex with being bad comes from mm. imperialism mm-hmm. and comes from literally, I'm sorry to be that girl, yep. but it comes from the fact that like, especially in American culture, we are still poisoned by the odorless gas that is like Anglo-Saxon ideas of morality and Christianity yep. mm-hmm. that still permeate not just our government, but our ways of being affected by that government. And so it's just like, you you have to, as, as queer and trans people, it is like... So such a gift to not have to adhere to that kind of stigma yeah agreed Mm. it's time we get to the meat of our discussion the thought process spelled t-h-o-t t-h-o-t and fran has got our bratwurst this week (sighs) joe (laughs) what you are not seeing in the studio right now is joe's full spit take which is just (laughs) It's I just, took a drink of water right when which right you down. know Teeps not to do when Teebs is speaking. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's, that's your fault. Clean yeah. up on aisle me. No. <laughs> Today we were talking about gay culture, quote unquote. <laughs> and let me tell you, there's this kind of funny thing about gay culture, queer culture, or rather funny thing that gays and queers do, where which is we like to call things gay when they're like not gay. You know, we like to call things queer when they're like not and like share. She's not gay, but she's so gay. gay. It's a ministry. It's our ministry. Britney Spears is aggressively straight and so gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Truly, and and it's like it's like, and I really am one of those assholes that that has a very capacious definition of the term queer and the term gay, and I I use these umbrella terms with abandon, uh, but with a self awareness as well in a very chaotic way, and I think. I am not alone in that. I think that the foundation of this podcast and a lot of games that we play play with that trope, yes, right? Yes. And but when something is not explicitly queer mm-hmm. and we find joy in naming it queer, you know, what are the ramifications of that? Mm. Um and we've talked about labels, we've talked about naming things, we've talked about how language is important. And so I want to know from all y'all, I want to hear this answer. What is the one of the first things, a poignant memory where you were looking at something and you were like, that's not gay, but that's gay. Ursula the Sea Witch in Little Mermaid. I was going to say Ariel. That's so crazy. Little Mermaid. Okay, talk about it. Little Mermaid. Okay, so Little Mermaid, I think that 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 came up when I think I was in kindergarten um, and I was obsessed with it. Later did I... Um, kind of realized that like kids who find affirmation in such things as mermaids or shrimp are usually um, dealing with some kind of gender dysphoria. Mermaids are trans. Can confirm. But uh, oh no, seahorses, not shrimp. Sorry, seahorses. Because like they're they're um, the, the, the dad ma- gives the birth. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was something. I mean, I you know I like songs and movies or whatever. But there was something about Ursula. There was something about True. Ursula, and I, she mm-hmm. was a witch, and she turned me gay. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. also, you know, caveat that shrimps' hearts are located in their heads, which is queer. <laughs> that queer. Is, oh, wow. Not gay. Not gay. Cool. But, queer. Queer. but queer. For sure. I, um, 
when we got basic cable, uh, my junior year of high school, and we had Comedy Central. Comedy Central used to run movies, and they ran the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I was just channel surfing, and I saw Tim Curry as oh! ro- in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So lucky. And Tim Curry is not gay. Mm-mm. But my fucking god, that's the gayest shit you've ever. Oh, seen. and I, I didn't even necessarily. I was like, "What the fuck is happening?" And I had that tingling feeling where like something is happening, and I don't know what's going on. And it probably is because I'm a weirdo bisexual. Uh, but the scene when like the Tim Curry character sleeps with both Susan Sarandon and the Brad character, like one after the other, yeah, yeah. I was like, this is who I want to be. And it was, it was spectacular. And I, I had this distinct memory of, I, I watched it like thrice in a weekend and like, I would have the last channel button on. And one time my dad did walk through the room that I was watching and I didn't hit the last channel fast mm-hmm. enough. And I was like, Oh no. <laughs> For me, it was oh, no. definitely, I mean, I, t- I said Ariel, but I was also, you know, uh, Greek mythology was very formative to, like, my qu- queer cognizance. And Hercules, that mm. shit is gay. The yes. Disney movie, yes. especially. Yes. Like, uh, a, a god that was, like, you know, subdued to become a mortal, and then their whole life they fell out of place. And then mm. all of a sudden you realize you belong to this, like, upper echelon of amazing people. Like, mm. that to me is, like, so... I remember feeling healed by that because mm. I felt so... As a, as all throughout my childhood and teenage years, I had always felt out of place, always felt like I was had the wrong family, was born in the wrong city, was not living the wrong life, and that... Hercules created this narrative where in like there was this emerald city kind mm-hmm. of moment. There was something else. Mm-hmm. How gay. Yeah. It was How also gay. horror to be honest with you because mm. in scary movies the girl who was put upon the entire movie beat the bad guy in the end. Mm-hmm. And that was just like sublimating feelings of being bullied mm. and being imagining myself as the final girl. Mm. Yes. I love that. Yes. That's so that's so true. Then? Um so for me, I would say, one, um, when I was a freshman in high school, there was a really incredible sitcom that premiered on um, UPN called Girlfriends, starring <laughs> one Miss Tracy Ellis Ross. Never heard, heard of it. Of it. Um, yeah. Starring Tracy- produced by Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> Pro- yeah, uh, shockingly right. produced by Kelsey Grammer, but starring Tracy Ellis Ross, Golden Brooks, um, Persia White, and Jill Marie Jones. And... Um, this show was a show that I would come home from figure skating practice on Monday night, and the first thing I would do was, was plop down in front of the TV so I could watch um, Girlfriends. And there was something about um, just the way these four like friends kind of operated that made me feel like one that I was seen as a as a gay at the time, thinking of myself as a gay boy, and all of the ways in which I felt like very feminine and. Also, um, that was like the first TV show where I kind of became aware of the idea of um, chosen family Mm. and this idea that you can have people that weren't born into your family Mm -hmm. who can be closer to you and um, just as important to you as your actual like, like. I guess genetic or biological or whatever family. Um, I, there are other shows before this that that did that, but for me in my trajectory growing up, this is the first time where I began to understand that concept, like like going out on your own and building your family to be in 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 the face of what you need it to be. You, I was gonna say coming off girlfriends, I was thinking about living single, 
Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Kyle Barker is a straight man, but he's such he's a so gay. He's so gay. He's so gay. He's so gay. Kyle Barker. No, that Kyle man is Barker. gay. That man gurgles mm-hmm. balls. <laughs> <laughs> Happily. You know, enthusiastically. Then you're touching on something that, like, you know, I think hits all of us in different ways. Is that, like, a lot of models for gayness and or queerness and or womanhood, um, queer womanhood like start with this projection of self onto a powerful femme mm-hmm. an evil femme mm-hmm. uh, a care mm-hmm. like a women character that that um passes the bechdel test right like an yes. independent woman a diva like we we are constantly drawn to that like feminine energy exuded by tracy ellis ross mm-hmm. or diana ross or Cher mm-hmm. or janet or you know all of these people mm-hmm. that we idolize i'm curious like how, where where in like femininity lies queerness gayness what what were like the things that you were thinking about with that with specifically with songs it was w- imagining it from the woman's perspective mm. meant that you could sing to a boy mm. you know and like that's what i responded to mm. i've i'm this whole conversation friend what you're touching so i'm so interested in everyone's responses i feel like everyone's responses sat somewhere entirely different i'm thinking about like the aesthetics mm-hmm. the femme aesthetics mm-hmm. uh you know share britney diana ross virtuosity divas magnanimous um versus the narrative aspects that you Dan, are talking about with and and youtubes with queer family with these shows that were that were street characters mm-hmm. but where friendships is really the basis of of the of the life building and that is queer because of queer family and then also like the political possibility that comes from uh being a powerful woman mm-hmm. uh the political you know the, the way that queerness gives us other options to live life but that all mm-hmm. feels so different to me than the aesthetics of of feminists mm-hmm. and i don't understand quite how the two i think they both can make it this queer thing but i'm, I'm just so con- confused in a good way i think it. that has a lot to do with the fact that like misogyny is like misogyny bore homophobia mm. right mm-hmm. like yeah people that hate femininity hate queer and gay people because they hate women right yes. yep. and yep. so yep. and because we are kindred obviously those things cannot be conflated but because we are kindred to that mm. marginalization i think that a lot of you know especially people assigned male at birth that identify as queer but like everybody across the spectrum can you know knows what that feels like to like identify identify with something that you know is not necessarily you yeah Yeah, if if we're talking Mm -hmm. about the original sin being misogyny and we are an outcropping of that how can we not identify in some way shape or form not maybe not identify as but identify with Mm -hmm. right or 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 that's the thing you want to be but that you're not allowed to be right the powerful Mm -hmm. femme is like who you know it seems like we're identifying with that figure we want to be able to be that figure we want to be busty Mm -hmm. ursula coming in and sort of seduce and act, and even the physicality of it, we want to be able to dance like Diana Ross, you know. Um, but but we are policed mm-hmm. in in our you know bodies that are perceived as cis men, and we're not allowed. So mm-hmm. it's sort of the way that I think about queerness in in this sense. There's always excess queerness to me is like super saturated. There's there's more than one container should mm-hmm. hold. Mm-hmm. It's camp in a way, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's it's excessive, and I think that that when you're younger and queer, and you might want to swish your hips or identify with that, it's really freeing to see people who are excessive, who are just mm-hmm. over the fucking top yeah. in the way that Cher, Diana Ross, and Britney all are just yeah. ridiculous human beings. At least there's the perception 
with the, with a diva character, there is the perception of somebody walking in their own strength, mm-hmm. declaring their yeah. power and their truth. And, and reveling in, reality, in it. Yes. And at least that's the performance of it. The reality is that these women are being taken advantage of by mm-hmm. a system of capitalism. Of capitalism. Yes. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. But we look at them and they, you know, they feel, they seem free. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I want to be free. And who am I to feel free? Right. And that is queered, especially when they are entering into a space that they were not invited. Like, yes. I, I, t- I think a lot about, like, Miss Piggy. And I think a lot about how, mm-hmm. like, part of the reason, like, she is just, like, my archetype for everything that I stand for is, like, is that she is constantly kind of living a life that you do not expect a pig to live. You yeah. know? Like, mm-hmm. a fabulousness, a grandeur, a like a complete sense of self where like I am hot, I am glam, I am everything. And I, mm. I think a lot also about, you know, Janet Mock has this amazing interlude in a Blood Orange song where she talks about how like this idea of doing the most and how her favorite images are images of people, queer people, marginalized people stepping into a space that they were not invited and showing all the way up. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is just like so beautiful and so healing. I, I mean, it's like, I think about disco music, mm. Four yeah. on the Floor, yeah. Um, which mm-hmm. of course, disco was a huge aesthetic that was literally gay. Like there was a lot of queerness in um, the disco nightlife. And one thing I love about living in New York at this time is I feel like there's been such a great resurgence of uh, a more inclusive nightlife, more mm-hmm. um, healthy nightlife, a nightlife that includes sexuality in more mm-hmm. healthy ways that is hopefully less um, damaging to women and people of color. Um, but, you know, f- disco is just, it's music. Music cannot fuck other music. It cannot possibly be literally gay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet four on the floor is so excessive okay. over the top. There's sp- strings happening. All, why are all disco songs 12 minutes long? Uh, and like, just, just repeat yeah. the same fucking chorus. <laughs> but they're like, why I'm going to keep going. Yeah. I am going and going and going. Well, if I know anything about you, Joe, is that it takes a while to make a point. So. <laughs> <laughs> and going and going and going and going and going. Yeah, that sounds about white. Uh, well, this, is, <laughs> this is so wild, though, because, Joe, everything you're saying, and this is truly, like, I've just thought of this, but, Joe, everything that you're saying right now about disco and about like like queerness and the idea that so much of queerness is excess and extra it makes me think about a conversation that actually had thought intern Kenya and I were having this morning about the black church and how so much like culturally around um, so the experience of the black church is so gay the hats From, yes <laughs> that, that, let's start with the hats and the processionals walking down the center aisle in what in your Sunday best but also I mean there's things like the praise dancing that happens like like with the teenagers that do the choreographed dances that are just like praise dances there's um there's literally the choir and the fact that a gospel song often isn't under 10 minutes in a black church service like it is speaking in tongues speaking you are eating god's ass when you are (laughs) come on yes (laughs) yes Yes, you are yes you are yes you are I'm going to dig a little deeper I want to talk about the, the the flip side of this because if I want to get spicy, I will say we don't get a lot of hate mail, shockingly. Like, I feel like yeah, we have, actually. you know, a hater here or there, but like, you would think that this faggot podcast would get a lot of hate mail. I mean, sometimes you read those reviews and you're like, fair. Yeah, But the most criticism we have ever gotten on a podcast episode or remark that we made was when we one time proclaimed that Pete Buttigieg was not gay. Oh, that is true. And yes, that's that true. was obviously 
a shitty thing we said for attention. But it also <laughs> is based in a kind of cultural truth. And so what I'm getting at is that there were a, a handful of people that were very upset about the kind of gatekeeping and or misnaming of what that kind of platitude, watch, wh- platitude was, which is, in all honesty, mostly just a, a punchline. Like, that's mm-hmm. yeah. what we do yeah. here on Food for Thought. But it also is just having fun, right? Which is gay. So I'm curious about, to, with y'all, in retrospect... Why do you think that was such a tender point for the people that did write in? And why do we kind of stand by it if we do? I, I, I actually have been thinking a lot in this conversation about the relationship of gayness to queerness and mm-hmm. gayness and queerness both to capitalism. Mm-hmm. Because I think one of the big things I use to differentiate gayness and queerness is that queerness is a politic that stands in opposition to capitalism. Mm-hmm. Like there's an inherent um, justice mindedness in it and, an, and, a, and a, uh, an active decision to try to live one's life outside of the expectations set up by this heteropatriarchal white supremacist capitalist world. Um, so, you know, I think – it, I very much stand by the fact I would say Pete Buttigieg for sure is not queer. He and I do yes. not share a politic. <laughs> yes. um, and I just think it's funny to say he's not gay. And I don't, I'm like, I think if, funny, if, you're, if you're really worried about being mean to Pete Buttigieg, if you look at the world and you're like, oh, the one problem is poop be- people are meat mean to Pete Buttigieg I think I think that we don't really share a politic and I'm fine with you leaving us a one a one star review and I'm, I think that th- one of the things I'm really wondering about in this conversation is when we think about the excessive uh, like the shares the Britney's their relationship to capitalism is not the same one that I have, right? Like, no. there's sort of an excessive relationship to capitalism, too, where they're trying to hoard. Like, they are wealthy and not redistributing that wealth. So I feel a little about some of it because I'm like, I'm such a Britney stan and I love her to death. Uh-huh. Uh, mm-hmm. for, hashtag free Britney. But also, like, we don't share a politic at all. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if those, if the critics who really took issue with our flippancy around P- Mayor Pete, Mayor Pete, if that was, they thought we were crabs in a bucketing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is okay. that what that? I, that's what I assume they thought we were doing, and literally, it was just for the punchline. It's and, just for the punchline. Yeah. And I also yeah. feel like they might have felt attacked to themselves. Or, I was going to say, or like, exactly. they might share some identity muckers with a mayor pete they might be more wealthy white cis men and i am very fine making wealthy white cis men uncomfortable or upset i am not you know i i want queerness to be an anti-capitalist politic that that i build my community around Mm -hmm. and if that angers people then we're not on the same side i am not on the side of the type of gays who want to assimilate that's not who i am right and i i think the gatekeeping I think outside of the context of Pete Buttigieg, like a gatekeeping concern is real, right? It's mm-hmm. not up to all of us to say this is queer and this is not. However, I think just as Joe is saying, like in the words of Bell Hooks, it's like so important to know that like queer, not as being about who you're having sex with, that can be a dimension of it, but mm-hmm. queer as being about the self that is at odds with everything around it mm-hmm. and has to invent and create and find peace to speak and thrive and live. That is yes. queerness. And I'm sorry, but that is not Mayor Pete. That's just not yeah. Mayor Pete. But I mean, frankly, that's not Cher either. Yeah. That... But... I don't think True. Cher is queer. You I think, think she's Cher? Is I mean, yeah. <laughs> Cher is gay. Yeah. 
Um, you know, we should just list off every person in the world and decide whether they're straight, right. queer, well, or gay. Oh my god! Immediately, we are segment. investing in gatekeeping. We are the queer gatekeepers. You know, I, I want to. You know, this is funny because, like, moving on from the gay conversation to the queer conversation to the, I think that something that I have found refuge in it because there is no resolution, no like exactness in like a lot of the things that we're talking about that I have found refuge in understanding faggotry as something that Mm -hmm. is completely divorced of that and understanding. Mm -hmm. I think I really love, there's a really beautiful kind of parable type book called the faggots and their friends before revolutions. Mm -hmm. And there's a really interesting kind of motif where in they portray faggots as in opposition to men. Yes. And, and, and also the patriarchy. Sign so disidentifying yes. faggotry from manhood, I think is yeah. like so powerful. Understanding that like I have trans masculine friends that identify as faggots. I have mm-hmm. trans girlfriends that identify mm-hmm. as faggots. Like I have uh, so many people that are in opposition to, mm-hmm. as we talked about mm-hmm. earlier, that that is actually like to me the most kind of powerful way we can think about queer culture at large. How do you feel, okay, and talking about these dimensions of gayness, queerness, and faggotry, what is your response? Because we do get this, I get this, uh, we've all gotten this, the people who have a problem with us using the word fag. I believe, oh. I believe, I believe that you are owed a relationship with, you are owed a um, uh, uh, intricate personal relationship to any word that has been used to dehumanize you. Mm, and I agree. if your if your ultimate digestion of that word is understanding that you are that thing and oh, that thing is so beautiful, good. yeah, mm-hmm. you can use that word. I also believe if people don't want to and they don't feel comfortable that they don't they don't have to use that word. Right. I so I embraced that word. Um, even before I embraced my comfort with using like the N word in in certain spaces, because it felt in certain spaces is the it, is well yeah in certain spaces yeah um because I felt like my faggotry was subversive. The only path I had forward when I was first coming out was to lean into it completely and to be like I can't assimilate. I don't want to assimilate. Assimilation mm-hmm. would feel like death. Mm-hmm. For me, and so, and here is this word that is used to belittle me, to taunt me, mm. to make me feel less than. But in fact, within that word and what that word means, I can find my life mm. in I, that. I absolutely hallelujah. Y'all are also being extremely tactful and diplomatic, which I am not. If you are sitting at home listening to this podcast and you have a problem with that word specifically, here's what I will say to you. Listen, faggot. (laughs) (laughs) My, if I use that word, that is a a me thing. You, Mm -hmm. if you are on a diet, don't be mad at me for eating a bagel. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like protecting yourself from whatever you are, like kind of like a butthurt about is. That's your responsibility, not mine. I love being called a filthy little faggot when I'm taking dick. Oh, oh yeah, my <laughs> God, Teams. I okay, yeah. I, y'all, yes. Uh-huh. I I want to ask the most important high culture question I can possibly ask. We're gonna be digging into Foucault. We're be, gonna be digging into Judith Butler, and I want to know why is the Housewives franchise so fucking gay. I have no idea because it's literally it's the most so evil gay. capitalist people on and the planet. The straightest, <laughs> most heterosexual problems. But every faggot I know, I'm like, "What you doing, honey? Watching Housewives?" I 
I think it's a it's excess, but I I really think that you know we had a whole conversation about camp, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. and I do think it it, it is that. Housewives is camp in its, its so purest camp. form. Yes. Oh, in its yes, purest yeah. form, because camp in its less pure form is camp that is aware of itself. Yes. Like mm-hmm. The RuPaul, yes. the 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 the. I mean, maybe Cher is a good example. Totally aware. Camp that does not know it's camp it, is yeah. pure, and yes. that mm-hmm. is prostitution. Mm-hmm. Prostitution. Oh, yeah. I was with Teresa Giudice <laughs> and Ramona oh, singing. Literally, God. that's the Ramona only singer. Singer. Oh my yeah, God, that one is camp. Trump in a dress, but it is gay. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, so true. I also keep in mind. Let me be honest and say that. I've only ever seen one scene of Real Housewives, like actually, <laughs> and it was prostitution hoa. It was not, that moment. I do. Not, it's not required reading. Don't, <laughs> don't do it. I'm feeling full, but like I could fit one more thing inside of me. Dan knows how I feel. Yes. And this week, the cherry on our top is friend. That's right. I, you know, I have grown as a person. A lot over the quarantine and one of the things that i did a practice i i decided to you know reintroduce into my life was um reading Ew. and and this is Gay hard gasp. this is hard because you know I, I i i can't read i'm illiterate <laughs> oh God, um, but i no i'm just kidding i i did as one of the first books that i did like start to devour was Hanif Abdurraqib's A Little Devil in America. Mm. Um, it mm. is a phenomenal book of essays about Black performance and a history of Black performance in America. And uh, what I love about it is that, like, yes, it's a book of essays, but y'all know Hanif, like, he's a poet by trade. Mm-hmm. And his mm-hmm. prose is poetry mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. just like how dare silky and how dare how and gay like, and like and something that i also love about hanif's writing is that it's like so earnest mm-hmm. like it, is. It, it 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 just it makes me feel reflected as someone who tries so hard you know what i mean and to, for hanif to kind of reward that to kind of reward what it means to stand something mm-hmm. the way he talks about you know patty labelle oh. or the way he talks about um the different kinds of black performance that have like truly cultivated the culture that is yes, today. He, yes. he, in the process of writing and researching this book consumed like almost every single episode of soul train mm-hmm. and saw how it changed so much mm-hmm. over the years mm-hmm. and also broke out so many incredible black and brown performers mm-hmm. from that show. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was such a gift, like such a, an incredible thing to like bear witness to. And like, I just was, I loved this writing so much. So Hanif's writing is so good that he made me care about a sport. I know. I know. <laughs> wow. <What>? Devilry. <laughs> I know. Lucky for y'all, there are not very many sports in this book. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a lot of like dancing and performance. Yep. And I, if I'm not mistaken, there might be a sport here or there, but like mm-hmm. something that I also, I, I felt like Tommy would really resonate with was that like Hanif historically, I've heard him talk about this book a lot in interviews. Like Hanif historically is like, really pained by the experience of writing. Yeah. At least his last like few books, he's talked about how like the experience of like sitting down with something that was a little agonizing with each Mm. book. And that this was the first book that he was excited to write. Wow. That he couldn't stop writing. And he was like, so enraptured by everything, all the research that he was doing for this. And I was like, that was so inspiring to me. because I was like, damn, 
I want that project. I want that kind of yeah. like mm-hmm. thing that you look forward to at the end of the day. Mm. But it comes through in the text, even though it's very sad because mm. it is Hanif <laughs> who is, you know, writes a lot of, of stuff that is like heartful and emotional. It's emotional. But yeah. it also is based in joy and like magnanimousness and the things that mm. really like cultivate so much of American culture today. Mm-hmm. I'm just mad. I mean, I'm in a fight with Hanif because that's the person, that's the only person who wrote more books in a shorter period of time than me. Oh, <laughs> so, oh and then he's okay. writing the keeps books. writing books. Yeah. I'm like, give mm-hmm. the girls a break, Hanif. Jesus. <laughs> Just and everyone just gets better and better. It's like, yeah. how dare you? It's, how dare you? If you, you know, only pick it up and you wanted to like peruse through it. In the middle of the book, there is this essay about the moon. And he kind of opens up the essay talking about how, you know, he doesn't totally get astrology, but a lot of his friends do. And he kind of uses that image of like the moon and its relationship to astrology and then moves through different vignettes of like black culture in America. Mm-hmm. And he talks about like this image of Patti LaBelle in what felt looked like an astronaut's space, space suit. And he talked about Michael Jackson's moonwalking. And then right, he right, talked right, about yeah. that the fact that Michael Jackson actually didn't invent the moonwalk mm-hmm. and it was created by someone like a really long time before that. And like, and just the way he kind of paints a history is so non-linear which i really appreciate but to like kind of slip into all these different topics and then to end again like on the moon like damn i fuck you hanif like that is like some good ass writing but um love 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 this book a great summer read a great anything read yeah um go pick it up it's called a little devil in america by hanif abdurakib yes get it This episode of Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rosé and our new home at Stitcher. Our producer's mutant power is getting us to shut the fuck up. (laughs) She really does. She really does. Oh my god. Alexandra De Palma. Subscribe, rate, and review us five stars on iTunes or Fran deletes their iCow. I would never. (laughs) I am Tommy Teebs Pico. You can find me at HeyTeebs, H-E-Y-T-E-E-B-S on Instagram and only Instagram because I deleted Twitter. I'm Joseph Osmondson. You can find me at www.josephosmondson.com. I'm Dan Michelle, and you can find me on all the social media, but pay attention because the handles are changing. And I'm Fran. You can find me at Fran Squish Co. on Instagram and Twitter, and you can also subscribe to my newsletter there as well. You can subscribe to our brand new and improved newsletter at foodforthought.substack.com for some extra delectable content and check out our brand new merch. That's right. You hats. Tease morally reprehensible thought goods at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. Find us on Instagram as Gay Sluts Who Read and join us on Facebook and Twitter at Food for Thought Pod. And finally, send your questions, thoughts, concerns, and dick pics, dick pics. to thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. As always, that's food, the number four, and thoughts spelled how? T H O T. See you next week. Mwah. If you were delighted or perhaps enraged by this conversation, let me tell you, you can go back and listen to the episode that we were referring to. The title is called Pete Ain't Gay, and we stand, <laughs> we st- by, we stand it. by it. Thank you for listening to our backlogs. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.